0: episode 11 of the Prolific Christian Writer Podcast. Today we talk to award-winning Christian author Dr. Gary Neil Hansen about the pros and cons of traditional versus self-publishing for Christian authors. Welcome to the Prolific Christian Writer Podcast, where we believe you can change the world with your words. Follow an indie author and pastor and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on how you can honor Christ and change the world by writing fast, writing often, and writing well. I'm your host, Tian Down. Now, let's get on with today's show. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2018. I hope that you had a good Christmas and you're ready to go with this uh, new year. And uh, today's interview actually is kind of a lengthy interview. Um, so I'm going to keep this introduction a little short. Uh, but, but before we get to the interview, I want to let you know about my new book that's coming out. It, it's my third book. It's a book on spiritual warfare and it's called The Devil and Dr. Sarks. The subtitle is Wisdom, Advice, and Warnings on the Spiritual... Um, actually, it's Wisdom, Advice, and Warnings on the Art of Spiritual Warfare. And uh, it is a kind of a, a, a mix between memoir, Bible study, and uh, I tell some funny stories in it. So it should be practical and entertaining, but uh, be hopefully profound also. I want to encourage you to check it out on Amazon. The book is called The Devil and Dr. Sarks." So let's get on with today's interview. Today, I have on the line uh, Mr. Gary Neal Hansen. Actually, I should say uh, Reverend Dr. Gary <laughs> Neal Hansen. He's a pastor, award-winning author, Christian author, and we're going to be talking about his, uh, his writing journey. So welcome to the show, Gary.
1: Thanks, Deanne. I'm glad to be here. I'm honored.
0: So uh, uh, Gary, why don't you tell us uh, just a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, what, what you've done in the past and what you're doing right now?
1: Sure. Um, when I finished, uh, I, I when I finished seminary, I felt the call uh, to go on and do further study, uh, and was really pers- wanting to pursue um, a position as a university professor. Uh, so I did, went on to grad school and did my PhD at. Uh, Princeton Theological Seminary in Church History and History of Christian Doctrine. And during that time, uh, my call sort of shifted from Christian college or university to wanting to work with candidates for ministry. And I ended up being called to serve at a small Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Dubuque, Iowa. And I served there as a professor for 17 years. Um, And that's where a number of the things that I've published uh, were published while I was there. And... um, because part writing is part of the vocation of being a professor and uh, as well as just being part of my own personal vocation, then, um, a, a year and a half ago, my wife finished graduate school and got a call to be on the faculty of the University of Pittsburgh. She's a scientist doing research in child language development. And it was such an amazing position. And I was at a kind of a turning point um, in my in my work as a faculty member. I was much more excited about some of the entrepreneurial things I was doing, the speaking and especially the writing, um, that it was sort of an easy time to say goodbye to um This what had really been a marvelous call for 17 years, uh, and to turn toward writing and speaking full-time.
0: Wow. Um, What I'm learning from you is, like, you really like uh, the cold-weather states there. (laughs) New Jersey, uh, Pittsburgh, Iowa. I mean, like, uh, God doesn't call you to a, a sunny state or anything? Yeah.
1: I seem to have very little choice in this matter. You know, I like sunshine <laughs> a lot. Uh, I did spend a year in California. I uh, or Actually, uh, I'll add it all together, about a year and a half. I spent a year working on the staff of First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley as a college intern up in the Bay Area. And then I spent a couple of summers doing youth ministry down in San Jose. I haven't spent so much, much time down in the sunny parts of California, but, uh, yeah. but I, I do love California. I come from Washington State originally. Oh, I, great. Tacoma, great. Washington. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary,
0: uh you are an award-winning Christian author. I uh it says that uh, your book was devotional book of the year in 2013 Kneeling with Giants uh yeah. published by University Press. Uh, tell us about that book.
1: Yeah, that book uh was a, a long-time labor of love. You know, I I when I went into being a historian um and doing my graduate work, I was mostly focused on really History of theology. I was working on John Calvin and his biblical interpretation—some kind of you know dry, bookish, abstract stuff. Uh, What I realized later, though, as I was turning in my career and wanting to be doing some writing that wasn't sort of academic to academics, but wanting to say what have I what have I learned and grown with through my vocation as as a historian that I really want to give back to the regular believer, you know, people who want to read a book because they want to grow in Christ. And I, I realized that I sort of had this unique niche, where, um, uh, which was... Some sort of sideline study that I'd done over many years into sort of great teachers of prayer. I mean, really, in a sense, it all started in high school. I came to uh, a deepening Christian commitment uh, as a high school sophomore through the Young Life Organization, sort of the evangelical outreach to people that don't have a church, kind of a youth group for people that don't have a church. Um, and uh, one of the Young Life leaders, within the first year I was there, put in my hand this little book called The Practice of the Presence of God, um, which is written— a kind Is that of Brother Lawrence? Thing. Yes, Brother Lawrence, exactly. Um, and it's, you know, he was a Catholic monk, a Carmelite monk in the 17th century, um, and I I was totally hooked by this. You know, this guy, this monk, had this wonderful, conversational, open, funny, serious relationship with God because he made this radical commitment to be in communion with God, aware of the presence of God as every waking hour of every single day, he made this radical commitment and then he really pursued it practically. Um, And he just became this, he was shaped by Christ. He was this loving, winsome guy and people would come to him for counsel. He wasn't like the the well-educated teacher. He was like the kitchen worker in the monastery, but people knew he was wise because he just talked to God all the time. And I loved that as a high school student. And I really lived on that what I didn't realize was this was sort of my first exposure to the wonders of being a historian, right? Historians think of 17th century books from French monks as primary sources, and then they do projects studying them and writing boring books about them. Um, So uh, over time, I kept pursuing Christ and wanting ways to, to grow, particularly in my prayer life. And so I kept kind of stumbling on and seeking out Books that had really stood the test of time. I was reading things by Martin Luther about his approach to prayer, and I was reading stuff about the Catholic uh, uh, um, monastic tradition and prayer within that way of being a Christian. And I was just a whole bunch of stuff. And every time it was a little bit like a snowball, you know, every time I rolled to the next book, I'd pick up something that I could keep. And then by the time I was working as a pastor and when I was in graduate school, sometimes doing adult ed classes in churches, I would talk about prayer and people's eyes would kind of perk up, right? They, people, Christians know they want to pray and they should pray, but a lot of Christians don't feel very good about their prayer life. Um, and what I came to realize is all this stuff, all these great writers whose books had been uh, kept in print or translated and reprinted for centuries um, – a whole lot of Christians didn't know anything about them. And I thought, well, this is tragic, right? This stuff all belongs to us. If I am a Christian, then everything that God's people have is in a sense mine. You know, we're brothers and sisters to share and learn from one one another. So these are treasures. And it's a shame that, you know, if somebody grows up in a, you know, a Baptist church and they find the Baptist way of praying doesn't really kind of spark their faith, if they only knew that what was going on in the Catholic Church down the road was radically different, connecting with the same God, but in different kinds of practices, they, they could actually be growing. Not that they, they didn't have to become Catholic, but they could learn from others. So anyway, I, this this kind of became my mission to say, these are your treasures, O Church. Christians, these things belong to you. There are wise souls, men and women, whose writings have uh, on how to pray are different from one another. And that's kind of what became the, the thing in the book. Each of the 10 chapters in the book is a different way that authentic Christian disciples approach praying to God and being in communion with God through prayer. Um, and each one looks distinctly different from all the others. Um you can't you really don't they they overlap some at the edges but you know the way that Martin Luther teaches is different the way than Calvin teaches it's different the way that the puritans practiced it's different the way than the than Teresa of Avila and the Carmelites practiced each one of these is really different from the others and every one of them has unarguably uh, shaped the lives of thousands if not millions of disciples so um I started – well, the woman that's now my wife who was then my, my fiancé said, you know what you should be doing, Gary? You should be taking this material and teaching it in a class because you'll write better if you've kind of worked it with students. So for years then I started um, – I took this material and, and essentially workshopped it uh, in a, a class that I, I – my most popular elective that I offered every year for a number of years um, – And sort of saw how people responded, what they were resistant to, what they were open to, what kinds of personalities and backgrounds gravitated to which kinds of prayer. Um, And then – so then I I put together a book proposal and uh, shared it out to a number of of agents who didn't care less and to quite a number of presses. And thank God InterVarsity liked the idea and uh, gave me a contract and in 2012 the book came out.
0: How, uh, how long was that uh, process of of uh, writing, you know, from the from the proposal to the contract to the writing, editing, and publishing? How, how long did that take?
1: Well, it was a long pipeline, but it was rarely the main thing that I was doing, right? I mean, I was working on the proposal, I know, in 2007. And I think I had the contract probably in 2009. I I, I don't actually remember the exact date. So, um you know, there was a lot of writing already done because I was teaching this. I'd been teaching this class already for a long time uh, by the time we got to 2007, uh, and I continued to teach the class. And you know, but so by the time that the proposal was written, quite a bit of the book was written. But by the time the proposal was accepted, a lot of things had to be rewritten to be satisfactory to my editor and to make it a better book. Um, so I was working on it, but rarely as my full-time gig uh, mm-hmm. from a you know somewhere around. 2000, what, five to when it came out and to when it went to final uh, form in about 2010 oh. or 11. But even, you know, with a traditionally published book, you send off a, the final approved copy and it can still take another year or two before it hits the production schedule of the press and actually, you know, gets printed and distributed.
0: Yeah. So I I hear a couple of things there that that it's actually kind of interesting that it seems like this book was a unique blending of your personal experience, but also just some areas of passion and expertise. You know, your your church uh, historian, church history was your focus uh, of your of your Ph.D. So you're studying these old saints and now but you're also passionate about prayer. And it all you know you have students and they're learning so it all came together. it was like this nexus of all these different things that created this book.:
1: yeah, and I think that's kind of how most good Christian writing comes out right it's It, 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 it comes out of your heart, your soul, your experience, your wisdom, your study, your knowledge in some in some useful combination um, that where you have enough, enough passion and drive that you want to get the word out to the world um, and you have enough background expertise that Someone's going to trust you as a business partner. Um, if it's traditionally published, they're going to trust you as a business partner and take you on to plan to help you make that a good book and distribute it.
0: Yeah, I uh, I looked up this book. Uh, thank you for the copy. You mailed me a copy. I'm holding it right now. Great. Uh, I looked it up on Amazon, and um, you got 4.9 stars. And if it wasn't for three critical people who gave you four stars, it would be a perfect 5.0. There. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, and this book won uh, devotional book of the year in 2013. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, you wrote it out, you put it out there and you had no control after that. So how did you feel about the, the response?
1: Well, you know, the response in a lot of very different ways has been just really just a a wonderful and rewarding thing. And, you know, it got with that, you know, I didn't even know it was in the running for this book. The organization that gave it this devotional book of the year is a kind of a Christian booksellers uh, network organization in the U.K., and so I, and I didn't even know that my press had put it up for the award. I guess they didn't want me to be disappointed if it ditched, but, um, but, it, but it succeeded and it won. And then I didn't even know it won until a friend heard about it somewhere and tweeted me and said, hey, did you know your book won a prize? <laughs> I said, well, this is great. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it's wonderful to have external validation, right? You know, you have, to be able to live your life, you have to you most of the time live without too much external validation. But when you get it, it's awfully nice. Um, and it's just affirming, uh, but I tell you, the end, the, is as much as that kind of thing is, is lovely. I mean, the nice thing about that is you can put it in your bio and, you know, when you're got a speaking engagement, people say it, and then it gives you a little bit of credibility. But what's, what was really uh, one of the best moments, uh, of, of validation for me, um, came, um, actually via via the you know the blogosphere um somehow i I don't even know how i it came to my attention whether i was blatantly googling myself or or saw something on twitter or what but um this blogger down in new zealand uh she's a Uh, a a lovely woman who's part of a Pentecostal church and she has a blog and she sort of did a blog post about her favorite Christian books and she put mine in the list and it it was with some very fine company. Uh, And I was really just so pleased that somebody on the opposite side of the world found my book and, and, and cared and liked it. Well, then since then she did a, a study group, you know, like a adult ed group in her church and they went through the book. And then, so i I was so excited about that. I said, "Well, why don't we Skype?" Right. So I got up at two in the morning to Skype with her group in New Zealand, which was like yep. at seven in the evening, or I don't even don't remember what the time zone different was difference was, but it was crazy. I'm drinking coffee at two in the morning to stay awake, um, and uh, so I met with them for like an hour after they'd read my book, and so this was great. And I thought, "Well, that's totally fun. We could promote this," and so I started making that offer on my website. There's a, a a, a kind of a I have a small group leader's guide that I self-published and it's in the a free in the within the website. And, um, I started saying, well, and if you do the small group leader's guide and want to do a small group in your church or your fellowship or whatever you might have, um, I'd love to meet with you via Skype. So I've had this whole bunch of, you know, speaking gigs without travel, right? Because I get yeah. to, you know, whether it's in Tacoma, Washington or in New Zealand or, um, uh, they had a really fun one recently at a homeless shelter uh, in Missouri uh, where this wonderful woman is sort of as a chaplaincy kind of ministry, and she's leading these folks that uh, really are struggling financially and at critical life places and helping them to find ways to pray. And I got to meet with them. and. You know, these are all, all these are places where my natural ministry would never take me because I just don't live in those places. So that's hugely rewarding. And, you know, I, one of my goals for the book was to be genuinely ecumenical and say that all parts of, of all people who want to follow Christ are part of the same body of Christ. Uh, and so there, the book covers Orthodox, Catholic, various kinds of traditional Protestant uh evangelical and charismatic ways of praying. It's really broad spectrum. And as I look back on it recently, I thought, you know what, I've actually had either Skype conversations or other kinds of contacts and uh, feedback from pretty much all those traditions. And um, it's been fun to see people of all those traditions find their own teaching reflected there and also find themselves stretched and challenged by what they see in other traditions.
0: You know, I, I, that's really interesting because uh, of this, this ecumenical um, movement. I think the angle that you took um, is an easier angle because you're looking at it through the lens of church history, not uh, a lens of uh, you know, uh, theology, which can be very right. divisive. But you're looking right. at it, well, this is what the saints did in the past, and we could learn from them. So I think people are more apt to, to be open-minded with the lens of of church history.
1: I think that's right. And with the lens of church, of of Christian private practice, right? Yeah. Because across the board, disciples, whatever their sort of theological uh, edges or their political leanings, whatever the things that divide us, they all want to draw close to Christ. And they all know that they need to do that through prayer. Uh, And so, well, yeah, it's, it, it is kind of a leveler, right, because we all come in uh, just as ourselves with our own weaknesses and our own struggles with prayer, and then uh, we kind of find that we have things that we can learn from one another. And then people that are less likely to learn from one another than uh, in normal life actually find they do. Like one of the uh, – I, I, because of being Presbyterian, a lot of my contacts have been with Presbyterians, um, whether in churches or clergy groups. Um, and – there, one of the chapters is in the book is on an Orthodox Eastern Orthodox way to pray called the Jesus Prayer, where you're repeating uh, this little patchwork of biblical phrases over and over again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Um, and it's really the heartbeat of Orthodox spirituality. But you know, the Presbyterians and the Orthodox, you know, they're they're at off, off, opposite ends of many things, and yet probably of any chapter in the book uh my my presbyterian ministerial colleagues have really gravitated to that one i get i get this really uh groundswell of sense that you know months after reading the book this is one that has stuck with people and helped
0: that's great you know it's kind of interesting that uh both you and i um uh, we actually have, we're both doctorates and, you know, you're, you're, but you got a real doctor, you got a PhD. I just have a doctor of ministry. Well, it's all and, real.
1: It's just different, right? It's different, yeah, it's different. And, kind of and, focus and, and purpose.
0: And you're, you're, you know, you've been in the academic world and, you know, I'm looking at your book, uh, and you know, I, I, I thumbed through it. I, I, uh, didn't read it all the way through, but it, one of the things that caught my eye, which I was surprising was that, Uh, you, you're very personal. In this book, that you show up in this book, um, personally, you know, you put about, you know, you put your heart in there. Examples, uh, and Journal I entries. noticed, that <laughs> yeah, and I noticed there's a lot of. Uh, it, it seems to be uh, books from, uh, especially Christian pastors, tend to be just um, theological education or uh, lessons from the Bible, and they never really show up personally in their in their book you know, and uh, yeah. yeah. And that's what I try to do. I try to uh, put myself in there. Do, do you think that's uh, one of the reasons why it, uh, uh, this book kind of got this acceptance from people? Because you're there, I mean, because you're not, you're a theology professor, but in this book, you're just, you're just a guy trying to figure out how to pray.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I think showing up and being real uh it- is is a is a genuine help to any communication because if you don't, uh, you, you you may or may not intend to, but you you risk coming across as kind of pompous, like kind a, a know-it-all, and you know, there aren't that many people that want to read books by pompous know-it-alls. <laughs> you know how was how was the the
0: <laughs> the editing process working with a, a, an editor? Um, did it take a long time? Did they throw it back to you a few a few times, or was it uh, quite yeah. painless?
1: Well, I, I won't say it was painless. No, uh, it would be very, very useful. Um, you know, this is, and this is one of the one of the great things about uh, different traditional publishing and indie publishing have very different kinds of pros and cons. And I've done both. And but one of the things that's really, really helpful within traditional publishing is that that. Uh, you know if 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 it's a if it's a responsible traditional press your book is going to be seen by quite a number of people and they're going to give you different kinds of feedback at different stages um, and that's a kind of feed, all of them are going to be kinds of feedback that are harder to get when you go strictly indie so you know there's the you know the at the get go you know you start by writing a book proposal whether you're going with an agent or on your own as I did um, and and that includes a writing sample and a, and a description of the of the, the purpose of the book and the structure of the book that as you are designing it um, so that just getting it accepted by a traditional press means that somebody who knows about books and knows what the market wants sees potential right if they don't if they think oh that's that's kind of a clunky structure they're going to say well there are other other prop proposals to look at today and you just don't make it so um you know you get rev- essentially reviewed that have to convince the editor and the editors uh, publication board that this is an an idea with a usable structure that's completable and is going to be useful to the reading public that's sort of level 1 uh and then once you get the I, once i got the um, the complete draft finished. Um, it went out to a couple of anonymous reviewers, so who, give, who gave written feedback, uh, which some of which was sort of, you know, stand back and give a bird's eye view, and some of it was, on on the ins and outs of particular chapters or particular points that I'd made that they thought needed to be couched differently, you know, all kinds of stuff that an anonymous reader who knows something about the field, I think, I suspect they were pastors. Uh, In fact, I think I know, I think I was told that one of them was a pastor. Um, I don't, but but I really don't know much about who these people were, but I get, I get their feedback and I get to integrate that. And then I try to integrate that and it goes back to my editor and my editor gives it a really another really close reading. I've already had info, helpful guidance from her along the way, but now I get a really formal uh, read through and feedback. Um, and which, you know, this is on the fully developed project. So, and some of that was about how I structured the 10 chapters and some of that was, and, and this um,
0: was, this was your first book that you you wrote.
1: Well, it's my first full length traditionally published book okay. by the before this came out um I, I there are a couple of things that i didn't i didn't send you um okay. that uh, i did a couple of short books for my denomination uh that are designed for use in adult study groups okay um, so this was so, the
0: first real real uh like a real book that was published uh, as a self-contained book for the yeah. masses yep and so, i've got
1: ac- academic articles and such as well yeah. but uh, yeah and you're so right.
0: you're you're saying the editor came back to you um and it was uh she was it a, a yes, she, she yeah. and she was more of a at first she 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 was also a content editor like actually helping you structure things uh it wasn't just uh, it, you know it wasn't commas and and semicolons it was
1: uh no at at the beginning i mean before the contract there was edi- essentially editorial dis- dis- uh, discussion um on you know why I chose particular figures, and whether it was going to be okay for me to include one particular chapter that she thought that some of the readership of the press might uh, not be that pleased to see in the book. And uh, you know, I, I pushed back, and I, I, I had my reasons for all the chapters I had. I wanted a particular ecumenical range, and she and we. So we came to a consensus on what the what the inclusion would be but that was really thinking through the book conceptually before parts of it were even written and then at the stage I was just describing she's seeing the full you know personally edited pretty thoroughly personally edited first draft that's been through uh, some anonymous readers and she's but she had you know then she then could see it clearly enough to say about one particular chapter um it's the chapter that is now the Puritans, where I illustrate it at certain points with some some things about Saint Augustine. And I'd written it originally as a chapter about Saint Augustine from the fifth century, illustrating with some bits from the Puritans. And she mm. said, you know, this this would be a lot better if you just sort of turned it inside out and made it a chapter about the Puritans. You've got mm. better stuff and they are more true to your mission, because what the Puritans were doing was actually teaching the particular way of prayer. So I was I was talking about sort of praying with a pen, writing a, a spiritual journal, and the Puritans were all over that. They had all kinds of distinct practices they did uh, as prayer practices in writing. And she said, I think, and she was absolutely right, as you know, I, I think she always was. <laughs> She's really smart uh, and she knows books. So she said, you know, this will be more true and right if you just reverse it. And so I turned it inside out. And there were other kinds of things, that was, that's probably the best example. But there were any number of other uh, substantive issues that she wanted me to rethink about ways I handled chapters. Um, and some of it, you know, some of it was to make sure I was approaching it with the right kind of stance, a consistent stance of an experienced a person who was experienced as opposed to a newbie in a particular way of prayer. I needed to express myself in a way that showed um that kind of confidence and and and, and the stance of a teacher, which is what I was sort of taking in the book. Um and uh, yeah, it, lots and lots of input there. Well, and then I'll, I get through that get through those changes and it goes off and I'm thinking it's pretty final. Well, then it goes off to what they call a copy editor who isn't really thinking about the structure or whether things work or whether it makes sense. It, but, but the copy editor is concerned with um, does this fit with the, the stylistic requirements of this press? Because every press has their way of – doing notes and doing this and doing that and doing the size of paragraphs and level of language. And, and, you know, she was, she was looking at, or she or he, I don't actually know, was looking at that. um, And then um, sending all kinds of suggestions, you know, you got this thing you do with the commas. Did you have
0: to approve every, everything, or did you just say, hey, just make it uh, however you guys want it?
1: No, I. It was. It's really all a negotiation, right? They they send you the thing. I think it comes in like Microsoft comes back in Microsoft Word track changes mode, and then it's like you accept them or you don't. Or, um, but but the thing is that, well, there there was one kind uh, of of change that the the copy editor was suggesting that um, I thought was changing. Wasn't quite. She gra- sometimes uh, the editor, copy editor was wanting to suggest changes that I thought actually that changes my meaning. So then I thought, well, if my if the way I wrote it, if I just say no, we need it the way I wrote it, and someone as smart as a copy editor doesn't get it, then that's a bad choice on my part. So I, I had to kind of rewrite those sentences so that, you know, I kept my meaning but made it clearer, hmm. and and that's good because you want your. The sentences in your head, you want them to magically communicate telepathically, as I think it's Stephen King talks about, to um, get your thoughts into the reader's thoughts. And if 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 somebody as smart as a copy editor isn't grasping your thoughts, then your thoughts aren't clear enough.
0: I love that that line that Stephen King says in on writing. He says that it's uh, writing is portable magic. It's telepathy. Yeah. I just right. love that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I just recorded a uh, podcast episode, which would be episode 10, the one right before this one. And I am launching my third book, uh, self-published uh, book. And because I don't have anyone, I um, got on the line and I recorded a coaching session with a fellow uh, independent author. And I said, hey, you got to pretend you're my agent, my editor, my whatever, and ask me all these questions. And we'll just uh, do a little coaching session, record it live. So uh, I I learned a lot of just bouncing ideas off of another live person, and mm-hmm. realizing that we don't you know uh, independent office we don't have that, and uh, you got to go out there and be intentional to find it. If you know you have to have other other voices in there to help you improve. Yeah. So I, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. I, I know you've self-published uh, a couple of books, and you are working on some fiction. Tell, tell us a little bit about what what uh, what you've been doing since uh, this book came out um, from uh, IVP Books.
1: Yeah, well, a number of that book came out in 2012, so there's been a good bit of water under the bridge, and um, so you know, I I, I came to. I didn't realize, as most first-time authors don't realize, that even with a traditional publisher, if you are not kind of head of the marketing department, your personal marketing department, your book's going to tank. And um, so, intermarcy, University is actually great with marketing. And they were and they were fantastic, but they needed me to partner with them. And you know, I was I was like resistant to Facebook and Twitter, and I didn't have a blog and I, you know, I came. But it, was, it wasn't until the book was coming out that I was sort of getting started as at having an online presence. So I spent a lot of attention uh, to building my website and doing my blog for for years now. And, although it's a little bit on hiatus just at the moment. But um, uh, and then you know, learning the world of the way that marketing works for books. Because if you want to be able to sell your next book, you need to have some kind of a following. Not just people who happen to read your book, but people who can who you keep in touch with so they can find your next book, right? So getting uh, so getting my website set up so that I have a little mini book to give away to lure people to subscribe and give me their email address so that I can then be in touch about future projects. Um, so, I, yeah, the self-publishing stuff I've done in the intervening time – f- the first one was a, a little book, uh, which I, I give away the ebook and I sell the paperback on Amazon. It's called Love Your Bible, Finding Your Way to the Presence of God with a 12th Century Monk. Um, and that is an exploration. It's almost a little bit like an 11th chapter of Kneeling with Giants. It's an exploration of the cr- Christian, uh, ancient Christian spiritual practice known as Lectio Divina or divine reading. It's a prayerful, studious engagement with Scripture. Um, and so that was my first well, the first self-published book that I put out on Amazon – I guess the first self-published book was the um, Small Group Leader's Guide to Kneeling with Giants, which is only available through my website. But um, And then I um, had this uh, – aha moment. I, you know, my, my, the church I was going to used to always do a Christmas play and they always did these Christmas plays that were mostly about Santa Claus or mostly about materialism or mostly about, you know, complaining about the culture. And then they'd sort of shoehorn a little bit of Jesus and then nativity. in at the end, and I thought, you know what, what if somebody did a Christmas play, uh, that actually was just telling the story, the greatest story ever told with the words of the Bible. So I got permission from the ESV Bible to use their text. And I started this out as a, to create a reader's theater. So you'd maybe have half a dozen people with scripts in their hand and they would share parts out. But it, I ended up envisioning it and writing it out as a complete one act stage play. Um, and uh, I uh, put that on, out on Amazon. Well, I gave it the creative title Christmas play. Um, it's just so people could find it. That's search engine optimization, right? Trying to get the keywords. Um, and uh, so I, I, I published that and I actually directed the world premiere at my at my church in, back in Dubuque. Um, and a number of other churches have put it up, put it on as well. Uh, and then I, um, I've been spending a lot of time uh, of an energy, Trying to think about how I can continue to use my teaching gifts um, when I'm now in a vocation that doesn't give me a classroom anymore. So I'm doing as much speaking as I can, conferences and retreats. But I'm also doing some online teaching. I've been I've done a couple of online courses through my own website. I'm doing an Advent course right now on Lectio Divina, and I do a Lenten course that uses three of the ways of praying in my um, book uh, "Kneeling with Giants." But I'm hoping to do other online courses in the future. So that's kind of the range of things. The fun, and this is where, I sorry for rambling on. So getting back to your original question, because you asked about so kindly asked about my fiction. Um, yes, Tian, I'm shifting energy to fiction, and it's really, really fun. I, I've heard you mention in passing on your podcast that <laughs> you're writing some fiction too. So I kind of want to pick your brain. Yeah. Um, but it's what, 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 re- what
0: type of what type of, what, what do you read? What, what what are you a fan of? A fan of?
1: Yeah, I. I there, there, a you, lot of you stuff. like
0: uh, you like Amish romance. You, you look no, like an Amish romance. Do person. I? Yeah, that's the goatee, no, just, I guess.
1: It, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, no, the, the Amish thing would be the beard under the chin, but no mustache at all, I guess. Uh, and I'm not doing that. I'm just not going to do it. Um, so I read a lot of detective books. You know, mysteries and sort of uh, old fashioned hard boiled detectives. And I read a lot. Of of science fiction, space okay. opera stuff. So yeah. I, I I, decided that I, – I did a, I did a NaNoWriMo a year ago, the National Novel Writing Month, where you write 50,000-word first draft of a novel in a month. And that was sort of a, a standalone YA thing. I haven't published it. I haven't even gone back to edit it. It was just a great encouragement to say, I have written a novel, right? Only one person in the world just, has ever read
0: pants, it. Did you just pants that whole thing or did you outline it or oh. how would you do it?
1: No, I could – every, every time I've tried to write anything by the seat of my pants, Tian. I have like – I get about a sentence in and then I go, uh, and just nothing happens. So I had been – Listening a lot to a podcast called The Story Grid. You probably know yeah. it. Sean Coyne, Stephen Pressfield's yeah. partner yeah. in crime. Yeah. Um, and Sean is this very, very established editor and has this sort of very highly structured way of analyzing uh, a novel and the way the stories go together. And I sort of listened to him and I, I com- created my own story grid structure where, you know, he sort of talks about it having as having a five part. A novel yeah. having a five-part structure, and each of those five parts having mirrors of those same five parts within, and every scene within those parts needing yeah. to have the same five parts. So he I... think gets right a here, little it's
0: like, too detailed and it's you know, especially for, you know, sounds... Uh, it's a little overwhelming for, for a first-time author, exactly. uh, you know, but yeah, it's a yeah. little bit too... I, I, I listen to every episode, because I, I learn a lot um, from that podcast, but uh, what is it? it uh, Tim Grawl is a guy who's, right. who's trying to learn, and... Yeah like he's still on his first draft three two three years later because Sean you know it's like wow like
1: yeah. it, <laughs> Sean's best in his chops yeah yeah it's like
0: oh you got to change this like wow that's 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 gonna yeah. be uh, yeah yeah
1: well, I didn't so, do everything in the story grid, but what I did was I said if it, if, if it has to be 50,000 words – and Sean seemed to be recommending 2,000-word chapters. I divided it into 25 chapters, 2,000 words each, and then I'd, every day I could sit down. I didn't do it on Sundays, and of course Thanksgiving was off, but I, I had to, all I had to do was to have 25 writing days um, in, in November and write 2000 words each time. And, uh, yeah, so I, su- that was successful and gave me a great boost. And now I'm working on a. Uh, I failed at nanorimo this year. It was just impossible, but, um, uh, I'm now pr- pressing on with my nanorimo project and it's a, it's a combination of my interest in, I'm uh, doing a hard boiled detective in outer space. So it's both.
0: Nice. Nice. Are you thinking about uh, using a pen name? yes absolutely yeah it'll be near, uh, neil gary hansen or Maybe. hans gary neil.
1: something secretive well i think hans, you know, hans neil yeah right there hans nielsen <laughs> the uh,
0: yeah.
1: well the thing is that this is one of the great things about self-publishing right if i was going to try to go traditional publishing with um with a novel i would be you know working at it until I die, before I could get good enough for an agent to care and get it to a press. But I figure, you know, if I take a pen name, um, I can. It's going to take about five or six novels to write a really good novel. But I can publish those five or six novels, get them as good as I can, put them out under a pen name, and it's and it's no harm to my personal <laughs> reputation.
0: Yeah, and you're practicing. You're pra- uh, Like what we're we're the best thing that I'm learning is just the practice of writing and publishing and uh, and, and finishing, you know, because right. there's a lot of projects that I, I've had half finished. And just the thing about finishing and then publishing, working on the next thing, um, that is just a skill in itself that, that I'm learning.
1: Yeah, it's a complex skill set, right? You know, this, you, when you do traditional publishing, you rely on a whole team of people who have specialized skills, and you there's a whole lot you don't have to do. But when you self publish, although you have lots of freedom uh with much freedom comes much responsibility and you know you have to you have to learn to format and all this other kind of crazy stuff the first my little when i formatted the paperback for my first little self-published book it took me days because i'm just trying to reinvent the wheel you know and so you have to learn to market you have to learn to format you have to find editors there's all kinds of stuff that you have to develop skills at um but if you do it and do it and do it again you know you keep practicing, you're developing all those skills at once. And then by the time you're good enough to write under your real name, (laughs) maybe you have the skills handy.
0: So let's talk about the pros and cons of traditional publishing versus indie publishing and what that means for Christian writers.
1: Sure. Um, Well, like I've been, I think what I've what what shifts out sifts out of what i've been saying is that uh, one of the big advantages of traditional publishing is that you're partnering with a bunch of professionals they know about books and they know about what kinds of books uh, are selling. You know, they can, they can, they know the markets, they know the techniques and everything, um, and so you get all this, all this editorial help during the whole journey. And you've got, they've got a professional cover designer or more on staff and make your cover work. And they set up the the Facebook or the ad, excuse me, they set up the Amazon page. And they, the great thing. And beyond all things, they have distribution channels, right? A self-published book, it's, it's a very, very, very small minority of self-published books that ever hit the shelves of a bookstore. But with a traditional publisher, one of the great advantages is they have a network of distribution channels. They get you into Christian bookstores and secular bookstores, um, if depending on who you're with. So um, and they've got a marketing team, right? There's lots of complaints in the indie uh, in the in the publishing world about people complaining about Tradpub and that they don't put enough effort onto marketing. Well the thing is they have marketing I, my, my limited experience says they do a lot on marketing. They just need the author to partner with them. So, I mean, when I, when my book came out, I was, they, they got it reviewed on a variety of blogs and they had me lined up for interviews on a variety of radio stations and they were running some internet ads and, um, you know, they were able to get some early reviews and, yeah, and
0: it seems like you got blurbs from some big name guys. Did you get these uh, blurbs yourself or did they do it? <laughs>
1: Well, I, it, it's it's together, but I mean, basically – I mean there were famous people that I didn't know that they wouldn't pursue for me. <laughs> but uh, basically I – the three that are on the book are people that were my mentors. I'd worked in their churches or been mentored by them in different ways ways so um so they basically they they say well we're looking for blurbs who do you know that has written books who do you, or is famous in another way is influential that people are going to see that name and, and find your book credible did they chase uh, them down or did you
0: chase them down though
1: i did yeah okay. they they said yeah go go with these ones and i wrote i wrote them notes and they wrote back and you know i put put i put my friends in touch with the press so that they could send in their blurb to the press
0: okay so it was a team so, it was a team thing
1: Totally, yeah. They they were not. They were. I wanted Richard Foster and Eugene Peterson, but I don't know either of them. And they said, "Well, those guys are so famous, they'll only do books of people, that, blurbs of people that they know," and it makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now, the the con side of traditional publishing, you know, it's well, you you pay for that partnership, right? You 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 get lower lower royalties with a traditional published book than you do with. Uh, um, a indie published book um, and even though they've got a marketing team you could say it's a downside that you still have to do the marketing right you still have to be uh, working hard to do right make a self-published small group leaders guide and start doing a blog and do Facebook and start getting getting connected uh, so that there's um, some attention uh, that can grow for your book and you know it's a great advantage to have access to bookstores but in fact you know, you've kind of got a, what it was something like a thirty-day window or a sixty-day window uh, with the, with those bookstores. And if your book isn't selling, the bookstores are going to return it to the press. So it's 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 going to be easier for the bookstore to do a special order of your book. But the idea that you're going to find yourself in a bookstore. Um, after that first month is pretty slim, uh, slim chance, and you're never going to find yourself at an airport bookstore because it turns out that the p- presses that have books in the airport bookstore are actually paying special fees to have their product placed there. So there are all kinds of things that aren't so um, so great, and it's a slow process. But the indie, I think there are great advantages, and I th- and I, well, I know you let, let, let me bring on. it yeah, back
0: yeah. to. Let me ask you a question about the the trad publishing. I yeah. don't know how personal you you want to get to. Actually, um, I'm going to have one of my mentors. Uh, who's like written like forty books traditionally and he's he's supposed to come on uh next month and you know he he's uh in talking with him convinced me that to go indie because he showed me his contracts and you know very seldomly does uh he earn um you know earn more than the advance. Right? So mm-hmm. so like um Uh, can you talk about how that works you uh you know did you get in advance and and what what was the the royalties after that and if you you know uh earn after that so how does that work for for,
1: yeah for christian publishing in christian publishing um and i and i'm i've only got my experience and what i've sort of heard from other sort of industry mentors and stuff you know they're they're doing a when, they, when you get an advance, um, it's sort of not free money. You're getting, you're getting the royalties on the first X number of thousand books that gets sold. The first
0: run, usually.
1: Yeah. And so um, it's sort of, in, in a way, I think it pr- probably amounts to kind of, uh, you can do a calculation of how successful the press thinks that your book is going to be. Right. If you're if you're Barack Obama and you're writing your autobiography, uh, they think a lot of people are going to buy your book. Right. It's going to go into the hundreds of thousands or millions. Right. Yeah. But if you're uh, if you're a, a professor or a pastor, chances are they don't think that's going to sell, you know, hundreds of thousands.
0: Yeah. So and so uh, even with a, a pretty successful uh, Christian uh, author, um Unless you're like got a huge platform, uh, right. what I heard is you know in the past five or ten thousand dollars advance was would be generous. Was, would be generous, and now it's it's even less. That you like getting that would be would be great. They might not even give you even five. You might get yeah, you know. Yeah, so, and that
1: I'm not sure where the trend is. Yeah, but that sounds that sound, that's reasonable. Now I'm, you know, the the happy thing for me was that after about I think it was about two years, I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, I found out that my you know my my book had outsold its advance, right? It okay. had, it, it had accrued, it had sold enough that the royalties I would have gotten exceeded the amount that I'd received in my advance. So you're still and you're getting royalties now
0: so from I the get, book. So I get yeah,
1: and so you get an annual paycheck. I mean, so I what, what, what
0: is the percentage of uh, uh, the royalties? Now, after you earn back your advance,
1: yeah, it's. I, it's a, it, there all, you know, the, in the fine print of the contracts, there are all these different kinds of calculations because different percentages, whether it's uh, a book that's sold at full price or sold at a discount or sold to the author or sold to be sold yep. elsewhere, all these kinds of things. Yeah. It comes down to, you know, you, you sort of end up walking, I'm in mean, my experience, and I, I don't think it's unusual, but maybe it is, who knows. Um, you end up walking away with a, about a dollar a book.
0: Yep. That, yeah, now, that's what I heard, and this is a—that's uh, a what a, a $13.99 book, right? And you're getting a dollar. That's the
1: Amazon price. It's 17 cover price, I think, yeah. currently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seventeen dollars. If you walk into Lifeway, it's seventeen dollars, and a year later you'll get a dollar uh, right. uh, for right. for that. Right. And and but, that's that's what I've heard. That's what everyone said. That that that's
1: you know, um, yeah. But the great the thing is that the other. And this is an advantage of of any book. I think it's probably more an advantage for traditional publishing, but but it's certainly partially the same advantage for indie. Um, is that when you have a traditionally published book, you have you've kind of got a little bit of industry reputation as an expert on something, right? Somebody other than if somebody other than yourself has said what you say on this subject is worth our corporation putting our name on it and sending it out through our distribution channels and actually paying for advertisement on it. So, um, in fact, although, you know, my royalties are not the greater part of my income, um, the fact that I wrote this book has led to quite a number of really good speaking engagements with a variety of different denominations, uh, in a variety of different parts of the country, different kinds of contexts, laity clergy groups. Um, and, and that's for one, it's really fun. Uh, to, and it, it allows me to kind of have the personal one-on-one and one-to-many con- uh, conversations that I used to have in the classroom uh, still today. Um, but if I didn't have that book, I wouldn't have that part of my life's income stream. So I probably make more on speaking than I make... I definitely make more on speaking about the book than I make from royalties on the book. Does that make sense? And
0: Yeah, and the, it seems like the... Um, the, the Christian world uh, still uh, puts a lot of emphasis on uh, the traditional publishing as you know, it still seems that way that we're, we're pretty behind on accepting uh, self-published authors. You know, it, it seems like that way. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Because like like in the you know, in the in the just the um, just the secular world. um it seems like everyone is like the the indies are the stars now. Like we got the Martian, we got Ready Player One, we have yeah you wool, know, you know, yeah wool and all these things. They're making movies out of them, and a lot of them are going straight to Netflix. Uh, I'm in a group with Mark Dawson, who you know he's uh, his books uh, are getting produced by, um, but you know so he's an indie author and but Christians, I don't know. It still seems like we're um, we're not accepting of that yeah. yet.
1: Well, and, and for I think for a variety of reasons, I mean, and one of them goes to the nature of Christianity in our culture. I mean, we're you know, Christianity may have the largest influence of any religion still within our culture, but the Christians are deeply divided, you know, and we are in a thousand niches. Um, you know the 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 evangelicals are are very be very hesitant to read something by the Catholics. The the Orthodox are very unlikely to read something by a Protestant. So um, the, uh,
0: a publisher actually it's like a vetting process. Like we know that you're on our team.
1: Yeah. For the reader. Yeah. The reader says, okay, um, if I am, uh, sort of a, I think of myself as a well-read intellectual evangelical, I'm going to go to intervarsity and, uh, I know I'm going to find something that's both thoughtful and evangelical.
0: Yeah. Um, For example, I know that, you know, there's been some books that, uh, Lifeway stores, which is Southern Baptist that, you know, when, when, a when a pastor, says something controversial on, on social media, they'll pull his book because they're like, well, he doesn't fit in with the Southern Baptist, you know, what we, our message. So they pull that, that person's book from their stores Um, because they want to keep their fan base or their whatever, you know, um, like it's a, it's a vetting process really.
1: Yes. And, and and I think Christians want that, right? They, they want to sometimes, for good or ill, we want to feel safe. We don't want to have to put up uh, a critical sensibility and, and read a book that might have something we disagree with. That's kind of the tendency of the of many christians in american culture and so we we we, as a readership we rely on the vetting of the presses and you know uh, having having looked at some self-published christian stuff you know there's there's also a problem um uh that i think is one of the distinctive uh risks of um Christian self-publishing writers, um, sometimes we, we, we are relying so much on the grace of God that we forget to actually produce a good book. There, <laughs> there's, there's great stuff out there, but, you know, you need to gather for yourself what your press would have gathered for you. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need to find some beta readers for your material who don't necessarily, you know, have to be nice to you like your wife or your mom, you know, it sh- they shouldn't be your beta readers. You need to find somebody who can can say, "Look, good idea, problem with the execution in chapter 5." Yeah. yeah. Um, and you need you need to send you need to pay someone to proofread your book. And better yet, you need to pay someone to copy edit your book so your sentences make sense. Um, you know, there's there's all this stuff that comes with the package of traditional publishing that You know, I I think it's gonna. It's there. There is definitely good stuff. So let's talk about the pros and cons. Let's talk about
0: pros and cons of uh, self-publishing as a Christian. You talked about (laughs) pros and cons of the traditional.
1: Yeah, I think that for to go indie, uh, you know, one big advantage, if your desire is to um, be have this part of your ministry and there and also part of your income. The, the potential for royalties is much higher you know as opposed to a, a dollar a book for a traditionally published paperback if you're talking about Kindle books which is where the lion's share of the indie world is you know the your royalties are going to be 70% as long as you price it at Amazon's favored price point, you know, two ninety nine to nine ninety nine, you're gonna get seventy percent of that. So that's so, that's
0: that's ten times more than the uh, because um the contract usually is around seven percent for a traditional contract and right. and and going direct uh is seventy so it's it's ten times more. Yeah. Right? So that's huge. Yeah.
1: Right? It is. If if what you want out of your writing. If one of your goals is income and it's a legitimate goal, right? If it's as part of your ministry, you it's, it's a legitimate thing for you to be paid for your ministry. Um, then, then that's it. But then, and the other, another advantage, I mean, the marketing team for your self-published book is really focused, right? It's you. <laughs> so you don't have to, dist- you're not, your marketing team is not distracted by the fact that the press has 200 other books coming out this year. You have the full attention and, and uh, you um and the other thing is you know if you've got a quirky book project with self publishing the the editors acceptance rate is 100% right mm-hmm. you you don't stand any risk of rejection these are these are definitely pros um now i think though the 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 there is also a great advantage in that it's fun and it can be fast and you can be connected to your people right if you're a pastor and you're wanting to self publish um, you don't have to have a goal of being on anybody's bestseller list. You're serving your congregation by creating a resource um, that they can use in study groups and that can be can be connected to your sermon series. And um, it's just as much a book as anybody else's book, and it might lead to some speaking engagements elsewhere outside your congregation. It, it helps you find and connect with your tribe. Um, now, the cons, yeah, I think there are cons too. I mean, like I said, you have to find your own team of professionals to help you make it be a good book. Um, you're not going to – you're you're very, very unlikely to be able to get your book into bookstores except locally and on, on consignment, meaning you've, you've sort of lent them the book and they pay you if they sell and they take the books back if they don't. Um and it's, it's, and it's hard work. The marketing team is 100% on your uh, side, but the marketing team has precisely your skill level at marketing, right? You have a learning curve not just to create the book, but you've got to find a way to learn the skills, build the website, do the social media, um, get the book promotions, um, figure out Facebook ads. And if you want the book to sell, you've got to be doing it all, and, and that's quite consuming.
0: Yeah, I think there's one thing I, I, I totally agree with uh, everything you said about the pros and cons of both sides. I think there's one thing that I would add, um, is about the uh, gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. You know, in the traditional publishing, they uh, they're in business to, to make money. They they want to um, publish a bestseller, um, but if you look at um, like even like Hollywood and, and stuff, you see these big budget movies that tank and they lose hundreds of millions of dollars and you know, like like no one knows what is going to be successful next and right. and so, you know, you could be sitting on, um, you know, like they say like Harry Potter, like it was like, like she got like a hundred rejections. I actually heard that C.S. Lewis. Got 800 rejection letters before his first book was published.
1: Yeah, you know, right? that that number actually grows uh, over time on the internet. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I've, I've heard, heard it. That one, that, one, that one I think you can probably uh, do a Maybe little Maybe over a lifetime.
0: On. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I were, doubt uh, he uh, anyone has a tenacity of 800. But, yeah. but the, uh, there were but, 800
1: presses, right? There were 800. Yeah, it was the, the same person life. saying
0: no 800 times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still but, won't publish it. But the idea, uh, the idea is that. Um, people don't really know and uh, you know and but you have to go through these gatekeepers in the traditional world and it really doesn't and, and a lot of times the publishers are tracing trends so like for example if you're writing a devotional book or, or a prayer book um the publisher might be only publishing two book devotional books that whole year That's and it right. doesn't really matter you know what uh, you know and they might be publishing the whole they might be launching only 12 books Totally in their catalog that year, so um, you know they're they're really vetting it, and you got to go through these gatekeepers, and that's that's one of the the things that I, I think um, the indies have is that we you know it's it's no one, we're not waiting for permission, and because if we think that God's given us a story to tell, um, you know that's permission enough to get it out sure. there. Right? So that's my that's my main empowering thing that I like to tell people is like yeah. you don't have to wait uh for someone to choose you you could just like man um you don't have to wait for permission uh, you know these gatekeepers yeah what what do you think about that right.
1: well i think that makes a lot of sense um i think that it it make it is a great freeing thing that you don't have to go through the gatekeepers um depending on you know i think in the fiction world i think that um it's probably i from what my, as as a as a interested observer, it seems like the way the industry is shifting is that if you establish your reputation and have success as an indie, that's when the presses are going to start getting interested. So it might be a way to get through to the gatekeepers to have some success. But for the passionate Christian who has a topic that they're really interested in, whatever it might be, and want to want to help God's people, um, there is nobody stopping you. Uh, but what should probably give you pause is to say, "I no one's going to stop me. I need to find people who are going to help me do it really well." Yeah, uh, because uh, if I'm really going to serve God's people, I can't do it in a shoddy way. I, I have to write a book that people are going to want to not just be drawn to the idea, but to actually finish and benefit from. And so, getting getting feedback, getting editorial help, um, you know, getting a cover designer who will help you find make a cover that will grasp people's eyes on Amazon. All those things uh, that are that are helpful in getting to a, a book that's excellent, readable and effective in getting your message across are crucial. But it's now since there's no gatekeeper, it's your responsibility to find them. It's part of doing ministry well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And whether you the you know, same thing goes, you know, when you're when you're a pastor of a church, you you can't just say, oh, well, we, we've kind of got this mission, so we're going uh, we, to pa- we, we have Sunday morning service. It's going to be really crummy. We don't have much skills. You know, nobody knows any music or anything, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it crummy for Jesus. Um, well, it, it doesn't tend to, to have that much resonance in the public if you don't do it as well as you possibly can, to preach as well as you can, leave music as well as you can, pray as passionately and well as you can. You know, it, uh, it's incumbent for us as people in ministry to be savvy and to find ways to speak the language that will be heard. And part of that is having just making sure your book is excellent and you can do it.
0: Yeah, my, my, my first book, it's called The Life Path. And I mm-hmm. actually gave away a thousand uh, review copies uh-huh. uh, before um, the final edit. Mm-hmm. So I, I contacted all these people, um, in my networks and, and they're actually, you know, a, a thousand, I actually contacted more, much more than that, but a thousand people downloaded it and wow. I got a lot of feedback, um, from it. And then, then I went into the editing. Uh, the reason yeah. why I did that was it was my first book and I, you know, there was a lot of Self doubt, and I didn't really know how good I was. If if people, were, you know, so that process actually affirmed that you know what, um, I I think I could do this, and maybe I don't need to to that thousand people every single time. So no, I, right. I've been I've been making it uh, quicker, but I, I've been learning. But uh, I, I I love your your wisdom on that. Um, let, let me ask you about uh uh well about the 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 traditional publishing. I heard. Yeah um a uh, a book agent um, talk about how uh, this was an interview on another podcast that uh, uh, she said and she she represents um, a, a, like the best seller in the Christian nonfiction genre. She says okay. this is what publishers are looking for. And, and she's an agent. Right. So she's actually she has these these uh, people who have good, good. Stories, good uh, writing, and she's trying to sell their work sure. and she says publishers are looking for three things um, a, an author with a, a with a big platform mm-hmm. um a really a good idea that a mm-hmm. sellable idea, and thirdly, that your uh, the writing is good right yeah and she says that you need all three and but the most important is the platform like and right. so this is the the thing in the traditional world the 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 least important is if the book is good if the writing is good secondly if it's a a concept that they can sell but ultimately the the thing that they're most looking for is how many people um you know are you are you a famous person are you you know are uh, you have a blog are you a pastor with a mega church and so so uh for me that was actually um, a little bit discouraging, uh, or, well, I'm not looking to get a traditional contract, but, but if I were, it, 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 said to me that even if I had a great idea and if I'm a really good writer, but I don't have a big platform, they're not even gonna, uh, be interested in me. Yeah. Right. What, what do you think yeah. about that? That, that? I heard that on in an interview last week.
1: Yeah, I, that resonates with what one of my mentors said. A guy, there's a guy who, if you don't know his uh, blog and his class, you should find. If you're, in, if anybody in the audience is listening, is interested in TradPub, pub, um, a guy named Chad R. Allen. He's editorial director at Baker, which is a significant Christian press, um, and he's uh, his side gig for years has been his blog, and he does a thing called Book Proposal Academy. And those are the same three three things that Chad always talks about and you'll he, say you know but it's not that you if it's it's really I don't think that if you have the platform that none of the others matter it's you need all three and but if you if you have um if you got two proposals in front of you at an editorial board and they both have pretty good ideas and they both are written pretty well but one of them um if you shipped a 1000 books to him, uh, he could he or she could uh, sell them over a weekend, right? And the other one would have a, a, a you know a, a garage full of books for the next six years. Um, they are gonna go with the one who can sell the books um, because what they're looking for is is a business partner. You know, Christian writers. I think I think we often want the publishers to be in ministry with us and for us. Um, whereas they are even if they're a nonprofit organization which some of them are they are a business and they have to sell books to have enough money coming in to keep publishing more books so they are gonna favor the people who will be responsible business partners with them and part of that is writing a good book and part of that is getting your deadline on time so that the book is there to be published but part of it is that you will partner with them in the marketing process and if you speak regularly um, and can sell books, your speaking engagements, if you have a, a prominent pastorate, um, if you have a, a blog that has a big mailing list, I mean, what they really love is that mailing list because the man, it's the key to marketing everywhere these days. Um, but, you know, the platform is essentially something you stand on, right? It's a metaphor for standing up a little higher than the rest. You're standing up there holding a book saying, look, I wrote this book. You like me. You'll probably like my book. Please buy it. Um, and it makes... Pr- perfect sense to me that, that from the publisher's perspective, that that's what they'd favor. Now, but publishing, there there are big presses and little presses of lots of different kinds, both, you know, Christian and literary and whatever. Um, and so you don't have to start with Harper Collins. In fact, you probably can't. Um, I was lucky enough to have a friend who could get my uh, book um, in front of an editor from Doubleday, and he had a nice conversation with me. Um, he said, you know, I, uh, from the get-go, I, I, I'll let you know at the beginning of the conversation, we can't publish your book. We never publish anybody's first book. Hmm. No, then, he sp- then he spent an hour and a half on the phone with me, giving me a free, marvelous consultation that was, you know, a, a, a just an enormous blessing. Um, but it was a given that they couldn't publish it because that's that's where they are. They publish books by saints and popes and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So um, the, uh, uh, yeah, so it make, that makes sense. And if you, but if you're the writer and you're weaker on platform, it probably means that you just, you need to start with a smaller press, someone who's going to say, we're not getting, an application from for to write a book by the pope or some famous journalist or some famous star of some other kind we're getting this kind of application and this is really good writing and it's our niche and we're going to go for it and then you've got a trad pub book so this
0: is this is actually um let me spin this and uh, uh, as a um a pro for the um, independent self-publisher right is that if you have a good idea, if you are working on your craft, you're becoming a, a, a better writer, that the best way to build a platform is to self-publish. Get it out there on Amazon, on Kobo, whatever, and that that's how you build your mailing list. That people um, uh, will download your book like you could, they could do with what um, you're doing. Um, give away something for free on your website that they read the book and he says, do you want the, um, the workbook? Or do, if you come to my website, i I have this other book for free. Uh, that's how you build a platform and a mailing list. And it's, it's through the self-publishing. What, yes. what do you think about that?
1: I think that's, that's right. I think that's, it's certainly what's working in fiction and fiction's ahead of nonfiction, I think on this by and large, but, um, you know, they, 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 people like Nick Stevenson and Mark Dawson, um, have you think ahead so that you know you you're you're put if you're writing a book in seri- a series of books the first one you're setting as permanently free and it has a link in it that says hey come to my website and you'll get another book for free and by that time they've read two of your books for free and they can and, and they're on your mailing list and your mailing list uh, has an autoresponder that's saying hey here's another book I wrote well it's 299 at Amazon and then and, and then they are your fans already and they start buying books now that's a long lead time and a lot of people have a pause before they want to give away two books um but still it's 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 proved to be really successful for uh, for fiction self-publishing
0: and you've done something similar to uh, build uh, a little bit of a, a platform a mailing list um on your website you, you give away uh some different things for free for signing up right on on your email list. So, um, uh, what do you do? Why do you do
1: that? What's the purpose? Well, I want to be writing a lot more and I want people to buy it when I do. Um, (laughs) I've got some projects that I want to be able to, um, uh, sell as traditionally published. Um, possibly I may, may may change my mind on that, but the bigger my mailing list, the more likely I am to land another publishing contract. Um, but if I self-published, if I'm, if I, whatever I self-publish, uh, and I've got a couple things that are just waiting to meet, to have time to edit them so that I can just get them out there. Um, the bigger my mailing list, the more likely I am to sell, sell them directly, you know? So, um, yeah, so, the, I, I've kind of got a partial system, partial as, they, as the marketers call it, a funnel. Uh, it's kind of a gross term really, but, um, you know, so I've, I've got my, my, my onsite freebie, um, which is my love your Bible learning to uh, f- uh, finding your way to the presence of God with a 12th century monk that's for free but only it's an ebook that's only available on my website the ebook is not available on Amazon um, the paperback is so I can offer that and that has worked pretty well when someone reads a blog post they see a, a little message that say hey do you want to have my book you can re- get this book for free by giving me your email address um, now the next step is to sort of take a step back from that and get another, a shorter book uh, put out and and set it as perma free, so that something on Amazon, I can promote something on Amazon, um, and uh, have people find a link to come to my website and get the second book. So I'm 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 stumbling my way toward that system in a nonfiction sort of form. And, and uh, because
0: because your the book uh, your first book the are most accessible in Kneeling with Giants is not owned by you. There's no right. way that you can add a a link. Come to my website because they they want everything to go to IVP, not not, not well, right.
1: Well, actually, they've been very gracious, and I, I you know they the book is in its fourth printing, thank God, and um it's and in the fourth printing, um and I think now in the ebook as well, uh but I'm not sure. Um the uh they have they were willing to put a link to, to my sign up for my mailing list, and I have no idea. Oh. Uh, the degree to which that's having success, but they're very gracious about that. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. So yeah, um, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, uh, writing goals and measures of success for for, for Christian writers. Um, what what's a good goal for for Christian writers to have? As if especially, think about the person who's just starting out in this uh, journey. You know, they're they feel like they have a message from that. That God has given them, and whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, what, what should they be looking at as a goal or measure of success?
1: I think, well, I think that the thing to do is, uh, I don't want to tell people what their goals should be. I think that people would do themselves a great service by spending some prayerful journaling time figuring out what their goals are right so there there are all kinds of goals that are possible and even ones that might seem dodgy to some could be massaged and thought of in ways that are really whole and wise and 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 part of your vocation um you know, maybe it's to share your. Maybe simply that, like like we've been talking about, you've got a passion for a particular issue. Uh, maybe it's helping families to heal, or maybe it's the, you know, the Book of Job, or maybe it's whatever. You know, there are all kinds of things that there there are books to be written on, and one of them is your passion. You want to get your message out. That's great. So um, learn as much as you can about it, and uh, you know, the the, the process. And another motivation sometimes to uh, to write is uh, for those that are, are really. Thinking about it is a good motivation to write is to learn, right? You just like when you're teaching a class, you learn more by teaching the class than you probably learned when you were taking the class as a student. Uh, When you're writing a book and have to really declare yourself on paper, you're going to have to study things and think reflectively on scripture or life or whatever it is you're working on. Um, You're going to learn a lot. And some of the greatest Christian writers historically, like St. Augustine and John Calvin, both Said uh, in, in writing that they were the kind of people who learn, who write in order to learn and learn as they write. In fact, Calvin quoted Augustine on that, and uh, so it's it's a it's a viable thing. It's a learning process. There are a lot of us that are going to know more and become wiser people by putting pen to paper and producing a book. Um, you know, there's uh, there is some you know there are motives that might to some seem problematic. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly why anymore. There, there, Some people seem to think it's kind of dodgy if if one of your goals is to make money. But you know, if you don't say that you can be an author to make money, um, well, then I guess uh, I, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm left I'm left kind of speechless, really, yeah. uh, because it's 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 akin to saying, well, you can be a pastor and preach, but we're not going to pay you. Yeah. Right? What you're doing when you're writing a book, if you're a Christian writing a book to uh, build up the body of Christ, you are, in a sense, doing what a preacher does in a pulpit. And of course we pay our pastor, right? Because our mm-hmm. pastor's got to live in the and, – and, and the scriptures tell us that the labor is worthy of their wages. Well, if my labor puts me to writing books that build up the body of Christ, then um, that is part of how I put food on the table for my family. And so I want to do it well, but I, I shouldn't hide the fact that I actually want a living. Right? otherwise yeah. I'm gonna write a book and starve to death and then I'll die before the second book and then nobody gets built up um, yeah. you know or there's some that sort of need a little tweaking maybe you know sometimes I think if people are honest with themselves what they really want is to be famous uh, they want the external validation uh, of being an expert uh, that they can't give them themselves now maybe the best course there is some spiritual direction or therapy so You can start getting your validation from Christ and from within uh, and not worry so much about external validation. But still, there's something – there's a kernel of something useful in that because if what you do in writing does get that external validation – then it gives you opportunities for service and ministry and mission, right? Because you get to you get to speak to congregations or conferences or um, or simply to to help people, but who who read the book itself, because you did the work of doing that writing. It builds your credibility. It functions as that business card, um, so that people say, "Oh, you do have something to say. You're not just you know a Yahoo with an opinion. You're a Yahoo with an opinion who wrote a book, <laughs> which is better." Yeah. Um, and there's also, I think, uh, uh, another one that I think is, is worth thinking about is, is, in a sense, healing. Um, sometimes, whether you publish the book or not, just the process of writing um, can, be, can be deeply therapeutic. You know, we, we live in a culture where people, lots of people are sca- scattered and confused lives, and writing makes sense of things. Uh, whether you publish it or not, it helps you make sense of things, and, and that can be deeply healing.
0: Last question for you. I know you got to yeah. go pick up some kids. Uh, That's right. What,
1: what would you like to say um,
0: uh, to the, the new uh, Christian authors out there, new Christian writers, uh, to encourage them in their, in their path to becoming a, a published author? What would you like to say to encourage them?
1: I would say dream big dreams think big ideas and write them down <laughs> keep writing you know there's a, everyone debates whether you really have to write every day or whether you really uh, can do it in sort of fits and starts and and seasons and you're gonna need to go with what works for you but it's it's like any spiritual discipline and I think writing is a good spiritual discipline I write about that in my Puritans chapter of my book on prayer um, you you it's not that you only do it well if you do it every day consistently for the rest of your life. What you need to do is to keep coming back to it. Keep writing down those ideas because the way you are a writer is because you write. Um, and the more you write, the more capable you'll be of writing well. And keep organizing those big ideas into into themes and subjects that are your message to the world, you know, whether that's a message that comes because of your life experience and the struggles and tragedies you faced and overcome in Christ, or whether that uh, comes because of study that you've done and things that you've become an expert in and uh, have wisdom and, and insight to share in a practical level, wherever it comes from, um, organize it, package it so that it can be, so that you function as a teacher to the world through what you write. Sooner or later, it's going to be a book.
0: Thank you. That's, that's a really good encouragement. Uh, Gary, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, uh, if you want to get Gary's book for free, Love Your Bible, um, an ebook, book, uh, you could visit him on his website. It is, what is your website? It is Gary Neal Gary
1: Neil Hansen.com. G A R Y N E A L H A N S E N.com.
0: Yeah. So you could go up there and you could uh, download a book on Lectio Divina for free. And uh, we're, uh, we're anticipating that that space opera from Hans Nielsen pretty soon. That's <laughs> going to be awesome. So uh, thank you for
1: your time, Gary. Thanks, Tian. I'm really honored to be on your podcast. It's been lots of fun.
0: Thanks for listening today. We hope you found it helpful. If you like the show, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast or by leaving a rating or review. You can connect with me on my website, tndone.net, where I have lots of helpful resources available to you for free. My website is tndone.net. That's spelled T H I E N D O A net. See you next time. And remember, you can change the world with your words.